0: Well, good morning again, and uh, if you haven't met me, I'm Bruce Drugsma, I'm the pastor here at Watertown EFree. and um, if you are visiting, or if you are new with us, thank you, we are glad you are here, and thank you to the choir, it's great to have them back. Missed them a few weeks over Christmas and coming back, so it was great to have you, um, thank you. And thank you everybody for joining us for worship this morning and our worship team. Um, what a great morning, what a great morning. Uh, we are doing a series called Limitless. We are looking at the book of Hebrews. Last week it was Hebrews 1. This week we're in Hebrews 2. So if you have your Bible uh, with you or on a mobile device or something like that, I would encourage you to turn there. We're going to jump in to Hebrews 2. If you missed last week uh, and are curious where we went or where we were, or if in the future there's a Sunday that you're not here with us and are curious where we've been or where we were. Uh, We did start a podcast uh, recently, so you can go online on our website and find that or wherever you listen to podcasts and find that. I'm excited about that. It's been a lot of fun to get that set up and see already some people finding it. Um, I was telling Merv we have somebody who may be a family member of mine in Europe uh, or we just have a random person in Belgium who really wants to know what's happening at Watertown Evangelical Free Church. But for three weeks in a row, we've had somebody in Belgium downloading the podcast. So I'm going to go with a hunch that that's a distant relative of mine um, and not just uh, a a new influential market that we didn't know we were uh, not taking advantage of. Uh, But we're looking at this limitless series and talking about Hebrews and how oftentimes we tend to limit God because... Of our limitations, not because of his, but because of ours, and we assume that God has the same limits as we do, as humans. and And we're going to be looking at that this morning, looking at how God's holiness is limitless; it is beyond our comprehension. Uh, and before we get into that, though, I I, I want to share a little bit about. Knowledge, because knowledge is one of those things that I think in my life and in American culture, oftentimes we see knowledge as something that is obtained, something that is gained, and once you have it, you have it. Knowledge is a thing that we hold on to. It's, it's, it's this thing you obtain. And and I see that because of a lot of things, but one of the ways that I see it is if you were to go up into my office right now or anytime in the last few weeks, I have a, have a, a glass dry erase board on the wall that is routinely filled up with random trivia questions from my children who like to go up there and write a question. And then the idea is I am supposed to figure out the answers to these. And And the reality is I love that kind of stuff because I love having random, useless knowledge in my head. Uh, We were out for dinner, we we were over to somebody's house for dinner, some friends last night and the topic of scurvy came up and I was able to like, oh, did you know for a while? They didn't know that lime juice helped with scurvy and then they did and then they didn't and go through all this stuff. And we kind of were laughing about it because when is that knowledge ever gonna be useful again? Like, I don't know if any of you plan on getting on a giant wooden sailing ship and taking a six-month excursion to the North Pole. Uh, if you do, just know scurvy, lime juice, you can't put it in copper because that, that cancels out the vitamin C and it's pointless. That's the knowledge that I have in my head that is completely useless in any other, in any other situation. But I thought I would see where we sit as a congregation. So I have some trivia, and, and this is a participation mandatory participation section. Uh, You're gonna see it on the screen, and if you think you know the answer, you're gonna go ahead and raise your hand. So our first trivia question is, when and where was Sprite invented? Anybody wanna take a stab? Somebody has to know this. When and where was Sprite, nobody? Oh, we we, we have somebody taking a stab. All right, here we go. When and where was Sprite invented? thinking it was the World's Fair, I don't know. All right, the guess is the World's Fair, and the answer is West Germany, 1959. All right, so that, that was the warm-up round. I'm gonna, I'm gonna channel my best uh, game show host here. All right, our next question. Who was the first woman to win the Nobel Prize and when? Anybody know the first, oh. First woman to win the Nobel Prize. No, it's who. Yeah. Um, and when. Okay. <laughs> so I asked my son-in-law, so if I'm wrong, it's his fault. <laughs> <laughs> Marie Curie. Marie Curie.
1: 1938.
0: Curry. Oh, all right. Let's see. 1903, but the correct name, wrong year. 1903, Marie Curie. Uh, and and uh, one more or two more? I think we have two more. Which two states in the U.S. share the most borders with other states? Looking for two answers. If you can come up with one. Which two U.S. states? Do you think you can get both of them? I think it's Tennessee and Kentucky. Tennessee and Kentucky, and the answer, Tennessee and Missouri. Ooh, half credit, half credit for that one. Um, And how many colors will you find in a regular bag of M&Ms? Okay, we'll say originally. Originally, four, I see four, five. The correct answer? Six. Six colors, six colors, thank you for playing. Uh, your prizes will be waiting outside after, after the service. And I know a lot of people enjoy this. I know a lot of people enjoy random trivia and I think the reason is, and we see it we see it in culture with TV shows, we see it in, in uh, trivia nights at, at bars and restaurants and breweries. We see the, the popularity of this and I think I know why. At least I know why for me this kind of information is fun it doesn't require me to change my life at all. There's no challenge to me in this knowledge. If I know that, that citrus prevents scurvy as long as it's not stored in copper, uh, that doesn't change my life. If I know there are six colors of M&Ms, that doesn't change my life. If I share with you that, that Missouri has, you know, touches the most states, Missouri and Tennessee, that doesn't challenge you to live your life any differently. And so we see knowledge as this thing that we can obtain. And sometimes I think we see our relationship with God and his word the same way. As long as I can obtain the knowledge, obtain the information and store it away in my brain, I'm good to go. I don't need to let it penetrate. I don't need to let it change me. I don't need to do anything differently because of it. I want that knowledge that I can store in my head. I want to know that I'm right that I have the, the correct doctrine, that I have the correct stance, that I'm reading out of the right Bible, whatever, but I don't want it to actually change me. I want it trivial. I want that trivial knowledge. And, and so imagine, if you will, that the Minnesota Vikings are losing at halftime because of a poor defense. Hypothetical, just imagine, if you will, that they're losing because of a poor defense. And, and Kevin O'Connell walks into it walks into the locker room and he says, okay, guys, I got it. I figured it out. We're going to change our defensive strategy. I have this brand new defensive strategy in my head that, and, and they draw it out on the board and we're going to, we're going to, you know, what if we shift these guys over here and we blitz over there and, and all this kind of stuff. And they, they go through the whole halftime thinking this through. Then he goes, we all agreed this is a good idea. Yeah, it's a great idea. Let's do it. He goes, great. We're not going to do it. Not, not this game, anyway. I might write a journal article about it for NFL Weekly, or I wanna think about it for a while, but let's not actually go out and play any differently. Well, that'd be crazy, but we do it all the time. I do it all the time. I read something in God's word, and the Holy Spirit is at work, and, he, and, and I'm thinking about this thing, and I go, you know, this is really good. I'm just gonna think about it for a while. I'm just going to process this. I'm going to, you know, maybe, maybe write it down, maybe run it by a couple of people, but let's not, let's not be crazy and change our life about this. Let's, let's make sure we keep this knowledge where it belongs. But the author of Hebrews is not at all content with that. In fact, no biblical author, in my opinion, is content with that which is why we don't read factoids in scripture. We don't open the Bible and read that there are six colors of M&Ms. We don't read that level of information. All of it is targeted to cause change. We are all called by scripture to change. It should challenge us. It should cause us to move into a new place. That's what it's for. And the author of Hebrews, we talked last week, he, he or she dives right in. There's no delay. They jump right in. And we're going to see that continue here in chapter 2. And so I'm going to read this morning, starting in verse 1 through verse 8. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testifies to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of then, a son of man, that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. And putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at the present, we do not see everything subject to them. And so there's no holding back. He starts right away with this call that, hey, you can't just ignore this stuff you've heard. And why can't we ignore it? We can't ignore it because it's from God. It's not from just angels or from just human lips. It is from God. And so our first thing we pick up in today's passage is that God's holy plan requires obedience. God's holy plan requires that we obey. And obedience is the difference between knowing something and doing it, right? Like If, I, if you were to come and, you know, we were to have a conversation, you were, I really need you to do this. And I went, oh yeah, great, sounds good. And then I don't do it, I didn't obey. Or, or, if, or if you have kids or you work in a school, you know how that works. It's easy to say, yeah, I understand, I know. It's another thing to do. And God's holy plan requires obedience. And the entire last chapter was setting up that Jesus is God and greater than humans and greater than angels. And this is the punchline. Why is that important? Because we have to obey. And he says you have to obey so we do not drift away. And I love that image of drifting away because anybody who spent time on the water in a boat knows what it means to drift. And I had a, an opportunity several years ago. I took a group of guys. We went up to the boundary waters and it was really, really windy. And we had been paddling, you know, in, in, up this lake and up this river kind of against the wind. And so we were, we were seeking the shelter, right, of the shore to hide from the wind. We got, and we rounded the corner on this river and it opened up into a whole new lake. Only now the wind was at our back and it was lunchtime. And so we paddled out into the middle of the lake and we tied our canoes together and just sat there. And, and, and if you were to look, it doesn't feel like you're moving. You know, anybody who's drifted in a boat because when they've been fishing or drifted on a lake in, in a canoe or that kind of, it doesn't feel like you're moving. It feels like you're sitting still. But if you were to mark the shore when you start and if you were to mark the shore when you stop, you know that you have covered a great distance but it's entirely passive, you drift. And in that case, when we did it and we, we had our lunch, we drifted the correct direction. It, it was an hour we didn't have to paddle because it, we were drifting. That's not the image we get here. We get the image of, of drifting the wrong way, right? That we do not drift away, it's entirely passive. It's this idea that I can just sit here and, 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 and I'll eventually get closer to God. And he says, no, no, you will drift away. This is the image. The author of Hebrews wants us to see the risk. If we do not pay careful attention to the word of God and obey, we are drifting away. There is no middle ground. There's no ability to sit there and go, I'm just going to be stagnant. Stagnancy doesn't happen. Stagnancy is drift. And we will drift away if we do not listen to God's holy, holy plan. And we have to be okay because it's been confirmed to us. It says in Hebrews chapter two. Chapter one, spoken to us, now confirmed. Confirmed how? Confirmed through signs, wonders, and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And through the life of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. All of this is mounting evidence for why we need to obey. Why does God's plan require obedience? Because it's his Son who spoke, number one. And then beyond that, it was confirmed through signs and wonders and gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so God speaks, we see, a lot of ways. He speaks through his word, he speaks through the Holy Spirit, he speaks through other people. God speaks, and we are called to obey. And it's really clear here that the focus is not just on these signs and wonders and various miracles. Oftentimes, I think we see these things, and we see these these things we've prayed for, asked for, and we see them confirmed. You know, I appreciate that Ed shared some praises this morning. We've had some significant things happen this week. But let's not shift our focus away from God in those moments. When we hear that somebody felt the Holy Spirit prompt them to not turn out into traffic and then it's confirmed, we shouldn't worship that event. We should worship the one who spoke. We should worship the one who warned us. We should worship the one who acted, not the event. And that's the focus here. The focus is not on the events themselves. We do not worship the moment. We worship the one who's in control we worship the sun that is who we are obeying and so let me ask you where are you using your gifts god has given us all gifts where are you serving where are you using that gift and i don't necessarily mean here though if you have a gift that would benefit our church i would ask you to use it but where are you using your gifts And shameless plug, if you don't know what they are, there's this group that's meeting on Wednesdays that's discussing how to find and know and use your spiritual gifts. I'd encourage you to look into that. But where are you using your gifts? Where are you living out in obedience? And if not, where do we need to confess? Where do we need to step back and say that God had a holy plan, God's limitless plan, his holiness, I broke it. My sin, me. Where do we need to step back and confess and acknowledge that we are sinners, that we are the reason God's plan is broken, that we are at fault? It's so tempting in today's day and age, especially to find fault anywhere else that we can. You know, it might be 80% my fault if I could magically put a number on it, but if I can find 20% that's somebody else's problem, I'm off the hook. Where do we need to step back in confession and say, hey, it's because of me. God's holy plan is broken because of my lack of obedience. But we have to obey because God cares for us. Our holy God cares for us. And so our passage this morning shifts from the message to the implication. Starting in verse 9. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. And so we see the spot that we are in. We are separated. There's a chasm between us and a holy God. Our brokenness and sin has separated us from a holy God. And we need to fill that, or something needs to fill that chasm, Something needs to reconcile or make right between us and God because of our disobedience. And we see number two this morning that God's holy plan requires a holy sacrifice. Jesus had to be holy and to be holy is to be set apart. And when I think of set apart, I think of my friend Michael from elementary school. Uh, My friend Michael, his family had a house And uh, maybe you've been in a house like this, where you show up as a child, and you walk into the house, and there's a room in that that house that I was not allowed to go into. It was for guests or company. And they had one room, a sitting room, that, that I was not allowed into, and in fact, my friend Michael was not allowed. It was his home, and he was not allowed in that room. It was set apart. I don't know that a guest ever came who was qualified to sit in that room. I talked to him later in life, and I was like, did you ever go sit in that room? And his, his family then built a new house with a new sitting room. He's, in a, he's 40 years old. He's my age and has kids. He's still not allowed to sit in that guest sitting room. I don't think there is anybody who is qualified to sit in that room. That is what we see. That's set apart. That is holy. Holy. We need a holy sacrifice. We need somebody who is so set apart. None of us are qualified to fill that gap. None of us can sit in that room because we are not holy like God is holy. And so Hebrews tells us that Jesus had to be made a little lower than the angels. And to be a little lower than the angels is not communicating that somehow God was less than an angel, that Jesus was merely human like us, a little lower than the angels. He's saying, no, he had to set aside part of who he was to come and be that holy sacrifice. It's not communicating his his creation because he is not created. But it shows us that we cannot pay our own way, and no one else can pay that way for us. And One other example from my childhood, when I was 18, I was in a car accident that was entirely my fault. And uh, it was bad enough that I had to go to court over over it because my friend who had been sitting in the passenger seat had not been wearing her seatbelt and had planted her forehead on the windshield during the accident and had gone to the emergency room and she was fine. But when there's that significant of an injury and it's entirely your fault, you have to go to court. And so I walked into court and had to defend myself and I didn't. I walked into court and said, I'm at fault and I paid the fine and I left. But imagine as I'm standing in front of that judge and that judge looked at me and he said, how do you plead? And I plead guilty and he says, okay, the fine is $300 and, you know, and then you may go. And imagine, cause when I was in that courtroom, there were other people in that courtroom as well who were also being charged with various other things. And including some things that were way worse than what I had committed, it made me really nervous at 18. There was somebody who had violated their parole and was being hauled away to jail for 20 years in that moment in the courtroom with me. It was a little unnerving. I wasn't sure what the judge was gonna do with me. But imagine that this person who had violated parole and is being sent away for 20 years and, and the judge says, how do you plead to me? And I say, guilty, my fault. He says, pay the $200. Imagine that that person stood up and said, hang on judge. I think my 20 years should also cover that. My 20 years of going back to jail, that should cover this guy's car accident as well. There is not a single just judge in the world who would say, Yeah, that sounds fine. I'm going to let your 20 years in jail cover it because he is also guilty and needs to pay the penalty for his crime. That's how we stand before God. I can't take somebody else's sin. I am guilty of my own sin. We need a holy sacrifice to come in and say, I can fill the gap because I have no sin because I am perfect. And so we see Jesus step forward as holy, as a holy sacrifice and say, I can take that because I have no penalty of my own. And the the passage tells us that Jesus is the pioneer of their salvation. Some of your translations might say author of our salvation. And the reality is we we need both translations there. Because Jesus is not only the pioneer or the, the leader, but he is the author and creator of that salvation. We need both, we need both the creator of our salvation, the one who makes the way out, we also need that pioneer to lead the way and show us. Here's how you do it. And so that's who Jesus is, as holy. And so we must turn to Christ and follow him. We cannot simply know that Jesus died for our sins. We must follow. We can't just know there's an author out there. We must follow. It's a both and, and that's where we get to our application for this part is about repentance. We talked about confession already. Confession is admitting you made a mistake. Repentance is turning. Repentance is different. Repentance is when I stood in front of the judge and said, yeah, that's my fault, and I will pay the consequences, and for the record, have not been in a car accident that was my fault since yet. That's what repentance is, is turning and going the other direction. I changed my driving habits after that experience. That's repentance. Confession is going, I did wrong, and, and, and repentance is turning. And so when we see that the wages, the consequences of our sin is death, repentance is looking at God and not saying, oh, you've got that covered? Sweet, I'm going to keep going. Repentance is turning and going, God, I'm gonna pursue you and follow you, the author and pioneer. So where do you need to repent? Where have you maybe confessed and tried to avoid the consequences, but where have you not repented and turned? Where is there a spot in your life where you say, God, I know you've covered this, but I'm not gonna give it up yet, and we need to repent. And so we stand before a holy God, but again, we see his care for us as Hebrews chapter two continues, starting in verse 11. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil And so we know that God's plan required a holy sacrifice, but we also see here that it required a human sacrifice. God's holy plan required a human sacrifice, why? Why does God's plan require a human sacrifice? Why why can't God just magically make our sins disappear? Why did Jesus need to be both fully God, which he was, and fully man, which he was? Which is something that I don't know that I can explain adequately but we know from scripture it it was true. Why? Well, Hebrews tells us we had to have a fully human sacrifice to pay the price for human sin. He had to be human to pay the sacrifice, and he had to be holy to be adequate for the sacrifice. We needed both, and Jesus was the only one who fit that bill. And so we are freed from the slavery of sin. Sin holds us in bondage, and it's in this passage that we see that Satan loves to use our sins to hold us in bondage, not because he has power. He doesn't hold the keys to death in the the sense that he's in the judge's seat saying you and you and you, but rather he holds the temptation, and if we are in bondage to sin, we are in bondage to that temptation, and he loves to tempt and draw us away. Satan only holds that power because he brings temptation first to Adam and Eve and then to us. But Christ has conquered all. And so we are no longer in that bondage. We no longer need to be enslaved to the sins that keep drawing us down. And notice that the passage moves on and clarifies that we need not fear. We do not need to fear Satan and we do not need to fear death. In verses 17 and 18, for this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. We do not worship a savior who has no idea what we are going through. We worship a savior who was tempted in every way like us, He empathizes with us in our weakness, yet he was without sin. We need that kind of savior. This past week, um, a couple of those prayer requests that Ed prayed for this morning were from the YMCA, and this past week I was there, um, and I've had a couple of great conversations with people at the YMCA. And uh, one of them, I was in a, a group conversation around thankfulness and gratefulness, and this gentleman shared that he has had some challenging stuff go on in his life. He's had some pain and some hurt and, and he was pushing into that. And he, he said this, this thing where he said, I learned it was from God and I had to accept it. All this pain, all this hurt, I learned it was from God and I had to accept it. And I said, is that because you learned to trust? And he said, no, no, I, I don't trust God. He said, no, not trust, but it, was, but it was there, meaning the pain, and he did it, so I guess I have to deal with it. And his view of God, God does not empathize with him in his weakness, in his pain, in his suffering, because God is wholly other, out there. God doesn't care that I'm going through all this, but he put it here, so I have to deal with it. That is not what I see. I see a God who is fully in control, who fully empathizes and fully cares for us in our pain and knows exactly what we are going through so we can trust him. That we can look and go, God, it still might not make sense to me, but I know that you are here with me. It's more than just something I have to accept. It is something that you do with me. God is trustworthy and we have that trust because Jesus being fully, able, fully human is able to empathize with our pain. And so where is Jesus calling out to you to trust him? Where is a spot where you go, God, this hurts too much that you have not trusted him to be with you in that pain? Where is God calling out to you and saying, you need to rely on me? Where is that thing that that is so hurtful that you need to turn to our fully human savior and say, I know you know what I'm going through and I can trust you for that reason. And maybe you're a person who's never, never done that. And I would encourage you do that today. Put your trust in Jesus today because he does care and he is the only fully God, fully man, sacrifice that can cover our disobedience. And we need that. So where do you need to trust this morning? Where do you need to acknowledge Jesus' humanity in our lives? And where do you need to see that God empathizes you with you, and where do you need to lean on Him for His care? Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, I thank you that you are the fully God, fully man, all sufficient sacrifice for our sins. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to trust in your limitless holiness, God, that you. Do not stand off as a distant God who doesn't care what goes on in this world, but that you care deeply for each and every one of us. Lord, if there's a person in this room who has not put their faith in you, God, I pray that you would move in their heart this morning to call out to you. So Lord, we love you. Help us to trust. I pray this in your name, amen. I end this morning from Galatians chapter six, verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Have a great week.